It's time for the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. Clay Patton in for Susan Littlefield here today as she's been hit with that ice storm in northeast Nebraska. We're glad to have our station still on air, but we're uh, thinking about everybody that's caught in with that ice storm. Today on the Fontenelle Final Bell is Sam Hudson with Corn Belt Marketing. And Sam, what an exciting day to be able to talk to you because you are a man in the know. And when I see nearly 4% gains in the soybeans, 3.5% gains in the soybeans, it's a good day. A lot of that stemming from the WASD. Let's just first get an overview and a recap of what that report had to say. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the real driver that we've seen here over the last several months since the end of August has been a demand-led market. And, you know, the resurgence mainly from China coming back to play. Uh, and that was a partial driver today. But what we've seen since the end of August is USDA do a lot of heavy lifting in terms of catching us up on this demand. Uh, and they didn't make any adjustments today on the soybean side of things. I think coming in today, my question was if we were going to see a surprise, is it going to end up being in the yield? Because we don't get a production estimate in, in December. We do have our monthly supply and demand report, but we won't get another yield update now, uh, an acreage, what have you, until January. So to me, if the USDA sits here and says, well, I, we think we're going to have to be at this number by January, we better make a step in that direction. So I think today's end result with, with bigger than uh, expected yield cuts in both corn and beans we probably will get the trade assuming we're going to cut them again in january a nominal amount uh, and in the meantime we see what demand does uh, and how weather can impact that uh, specifically in south america you know we've got a lot of data out since the close of the market yesterday starting with that nas crop progress report yesterday afternoon there we see essentially corn and soybean harvest is complete across much of the country nebraska in itself is 100 percent done with soybeans so with that versus a year ago when the usda wasn't quite as friendly here to the grain markets is the usda using a lot more hardline data to be able to actually look and lower these yield forecasts and these ending stocks in the u.s well, one would assume so, right? But uh, we have had, you know, in the September stocks report, we saw them adjust the June stocks data. So, you know, I talk about the final number, quote unquote, in January. Really, they can adjust this thing all the way into next year. So you never really know. And, and certainly NASA has gotten some blowback from that. But, you know, as you mentioned, with, with uh, corn and bean harvest 91, 92 percent respectively, this is definitely, you know, a year where we've offered a lot of hardcore uh, you know, hardline concrete data, and we should have a lot of that tabulated at this point. And it's also contributing to how our cash markets are acting. You know, the, we talked about the resurgence of export demand. You look at some of these river bid export markets on the spot market, and, and they're really falling aback. Uh, and it's not necessarily because the demand isn't there. It's just the fact that we can't get enough barges in the right place at the right time, barge freight's going through the roof. Um, you know, we've been pretty, pretty loud here really since August as well. So you've got some drafting situations along some of these mid, uh, you know, uh, these river systems, the mid-Mississippi, the Illinois as well. You know, talking about those cash bases, now as you talk about here in the interior of the country, now this obviously helping out those port bids and trying to bump the cash price there a little bit. What are we seeing across much of Nebraska, or I should rather say the Midwest when it comes to bases? Is it still fairly strong, or are these end users wanting to encourage that grain coming off the combine? Well, they are, and it's been an interesting market. You know, we referenced the export market and how strong that's been along those river systems. And everyone was looking for big crops this year. They got caught short the spreads. They got caught short the inventory. And now you've got a situation, unfortunately, for the ethanol market where they've had to chase it. They've had to rush out and get coverage uh, because we didn't see yields as big as, as what everyone expected. We saw a much more active export market compared to what was expected. And now they have to go out here and book ownership uh, 
the corn prices rally. So uh, what I think becomes important here moving forward is what do our energy prices do? What do our written values do, you know, uh, on the expectation that we could see some policy change if Biden does, you know, get certified and in, in, into the White House? Uh, and in addition to that, you know, look at all the strength we've seen in the stock market this week and the euphoria there uh, just on the hopes that we could get a vaccine. And if you have that going into spring of next year, you, you can hold a little bit more optimism on, on, you know, on fuel usage in general uh, and, and maybe the potential for higher blends making it to the pump for the ethanol market. You know, ethanol is one that has kind of taken a backseat. Exports really have seemed to be more of the highlight that everybody wants to talk about right now. But where do those margins sit for ethanol? We see our bob unleaded around that dollar eighteen mark, and crude oil still around forty dollars a barrel. So, is there any play right now in the ethanol in the market? I think it's on the forward curve, personally, and some of it's going to, you know, stretch back to what I just mentioned in terms of policy. Um, and keep in mind, you know, as tough as it was to shut this market down altogether when COVID started, that turned out to be a bit of a blessing in disguise because we didn't have to wreck the market like we did in crude oil. When you've got all the storage space available and you keep pumping, keep pumping, keep pumping, it means you've got more supplies on the sideline, and we just didn't have that in ethanol. So I really believe if we can see that optimism on fuel usage, you know, see optimism about a vaccine going into spring, summer next year, uh, we'll really see that, you know, crank up and kind of gear back up again and maybe end up with a a slight hole uh, in terms of supplies. Now, overall, you know, are we going to run out because of the ethanol market? No. If we run out, it's going to be because we sold a bunch, a lot more than we thought, and then didn't, you know, and then followed it up with a production problem. And so when we tie this back to the basis market, it leaves me somewhat optimistic as we go into the first quarter next year uh, for ethanol. In the meantime, you know, we've been seeing steady to firmer bids here, and I think part of that's just because harvest is now wrapped up, uh, being over 90% complete, and to come get it now, uh, you know, they're going to have to bid up for it. As we let's now look at the other side of that equation, that is the export demand. And we really haven't seen, we've seen unknown destinations, which could be China, but we haven't seen a lot of namely morning USDA flash sales bound back for China like we did following in September, right when we started this new marketing year. Do you expect that demand to continue to stay strong or are we filling up some of those TRQs or those tariff rate quotas for China and are they going to start backing out of this market? Well, that was one of the highlights going into today because we saw the USDA Beijing attache just last week increase uh, their expected imports uh, of, of U.S. corn to 22 million metric tons, uh, whereas the USDA has been resting at what, 7 or 7.2. Well, they did up that number to 13 uh, in today's data, and that was partly the, how we got to a 1.7 billion bushel carryout as opposed to the trade thinking, you know, a little over 2 billion. And I think the question is now is I don't think 2020 to 22 is out of the question I think it's what happens between now and then to help dictate what that answer is going to be. And what I mean by that is if they don't get rain in South America, their port prices are not going to relax against ours, and we're going to continue to be the cheapest game in town regardless of whether corn is $4 a bushel or four fifty or 5 uh, In that scenario, you could have those TRQs, you know, and we actually – you know, sell 20 to 22 million metric tons. If they end up getting rains down there and it encourages South American farmers to feel a little bit more comfortable about forward pricing and making those commitments, then maybe we don't have to get to that number. But the price is going to ration it in between. And when you look at the bean carryout today, you know, here again, they didn't increase demand, but here we are, sub 200 million bean carryouts and, uh, you know, still seeing some private sales flash across the board. That's Sam Hudson with Corn Belt Marketing. You're listening to the Fontenelle Final Bell. We'll be back with more. We're talking South American weather, plus a lot more topics on the grain markets in the second half of the Fontenelle Final Bell on the World Radio Network.
Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. Again, Clay Patton in for Susan Littlefield as we talk with Sam Hudson of Corn Belt Marketing in our first half of the segment, really focusing on today's big data driver, that being the WASDE report. But there's still a major fundamental factor that really has helped this market rally through the latter half of 2020, and that has been weather. Now, a lot of focus turning its attention to South American weather as they've been dry. That delayed them in their overall soybean planting. So, Sam, right now, what are we seeing for South American weather? Is it continued dry, or is there going to be some beneficial moisture on the way? It looks like parts of northern and uh, northeast Brazil, you know, could get some regular rainfall. Uh, southern Brazil and the bulk of Argentina have really been the problem childs, and really southern Brazil has been dry going on, if you go back really for the last year. Uh, and, and so, you know, we're at a point here where we've caught some initial rains to get those guys seeding uh, and have kind of avoided the worst-case uh, scenario. But the problem you get into this time of year there is if they don't catch those sequential rains, the seasonal temperatures really begin to rise rather quickly and, you know, evaporation rates really start to go up. So we're kind of entering the summer season for them now. Uh, it would be the equivalent of, of our, you know, kind of the beginning of June, late May. And from here is the real why in the road. And when you think about it, it has helped contribute to our rally so far. But if you look at those new crop prices, we just got new crop beans above $10 just here this week, and we got the new crop corn above $4 this week. So if we have a real realized production problem down there, those prices are still probably too cheap, especially when, you, when you're printing a sub-200 million bushel bean carryout right now. And so this, like I said, is kind of a why in the road where you know, we either cool off here and find a, a more comfortable range at some point because we get some more beneficial rains and you know, go back to those port prices we talked about in the first segment. Put yourself in the South American farmer's shoes. If you've got two of your bean crops sold. They've got about 60% forward contracted, and it's dry, and you just got it in the ground. Just one set or two set of rains, you know, encourage you to salt that last third when you don't know what your yield's going to be. Uh, and my answer to that would probably be no. So over the next 30 to 60 days, if that weather improves and they can do that, that's how you get the pressure of those port premiums and can finally shift that demand. Until we see that, the status quo remains. And then when we roll back to North America, of course, our only crop really in the ground right now is across the hard red winter wheat belt and many of the southern plains states. But we have continued to see a lot of dry, a lot of uh, meteorologists talking about a moderate to strong La Nina setting up across the coastal Pacific. So what does this kind of indicate for U.S. weather going forward? Well, it poses a bit of a risk in terms of uh, soil moisture in certain parts of the of the U.S. And as you mentioned, you know, the winter wheat crop, or you know, how many times will we kill that between now and spring? At the end of the day, I think the Black Sea region probably has a bigger bearing on overall world prices. Um, but one one caveat there, you know, as we go into 2021, is the acreage. Uh, I, I think with wheat at 625 to 650 plus a bushel, it's going to be hard to lose wheat acreage in the U.S. And when we look at this demand resurgence in corn and beans, uh, it, it makes it hard to grow acres into 2021 to a certain degree and puts you a little bit on notice as we go into spring, summer next year. So. Uh, and that is what is going to provide some pricing opportunities. So I don't think the new crop pricing, you know, 10 and $4 look for next year is going away, you know, right away anytime soon. We're going to have to take the inverses out first. But in the meantime, we see how high we go. Right now, managed money, I'm sure, is trying to look at what commodity has a story. And grains definitely have that in this weather market as we see you setting it up. If we start to lose this weather market, though, how much downside risk is potentially being built into this market where these funds continue to eye the grains? Uh, you know, it, it, it's a bit of a loaded question because in the meantime, you know, we continue to see funds pile in. They started covering their shorts in late August, started to go long. 
but throughout that process, especially over the course of the, for those first two months, the fundamentals really evolved very quickly in that time frame. We had the derecho, uh, we had the stock surprise, and then ever since then, we've continued to cut the yield and increase demand. So it's just something that happened, uh, you know, really, I guess, just all at once. And when you think about uh, you know them exiting their positions. They like to buy what goes up and sell what goes down. They're in it for now. Uh, and when you look at some of these longer-term moving averages, you got quite a bit of air underneath before you hit those. So I think as long as we stay in this inflationary type mindset and we continue to, to look at carryouts at a relatively tight tight level, uh, it's going to be hard to really scare them out. And to me, if it's going to happen sooner rather than later, to me that's more of a political type of change that we see take place. But with beans, you know almost 4% stocks to usage now here in the U.S. There's very little room for error either way. Now, farmers are taking a look at today's markets. They are really profitable. It's something that they we haven't seen in nearly three, four years of this type of opportunity. But now the big question is, do I go ahead and do I try to hedge something in right now, or do I let this market run where we have some weather problems? I don't know what my production may be. There's a lot of questions hanging over that. Yeah, and, and as you know, the production and you know question should be answered here shortly. If it's not already, guys know what they've got sold, what they don't have sold. Now that they've got combines pretty well parked in the shed. Um, so if you're torn on that, you know the challenge I put myself in as an advisor is just not really what's the upside opportunity because I can't answer that. I don't know what weather does. I don't know what some of these other variables how they turn out. But as things evolve, what's the downside risk? And to me, you know, how do you sustain corn at this point under 390 on the spot price on weakness uh, with what we've got going on and on beans? You know, I, I think 1050. Uh, how, how do you even get a break at this point to get back down there after today? I mean, that's what I was looking at going into today. So I think that's the one you have to continue to challenge yourself on, and also recognize that if you're a farmer and you're still farming into next year, you got those prices, like I said, of over 10, over four, and if those don't have to go away right away. Uh, you know, focus on these front months, focus on your merchandising as much as anything, and get your delivery stuff squared away in terms of when you want to truck, because that's something that can be calculated, something you can plan for, and every time you take away one of those variables, you're, you're a little further ahead in the game. Sam, for folks that want to continue this conversation we've started here today on the final bell, what's the best way to do that? Uh, call us at 800-655-3380 or go to www.cornbeltmarketing.com. That's Sam Hudson with Corn Belt Marketing, today's guest on the Fontenelle Final Bell. And thank you to Fontenelle Hybrids and all their dealers for their support of this market program. Do remember, trained futures and options involve risk of loss and may not be suitable for all investors. Catch it again as a podcast at RuralRadio.com.